always find what you love at Total Wine and More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet or a new single barrel bourbon to try with some help from one of our friendly guides. And with every bottle comes the confidence of knowing you just found something amazing. With the lowest prices over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine and More. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia or North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. This is the Ed Milet Show. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. I am so excited. I have uh, someone on the show this week that is, I've never had anybody like him on my show in the, you know, 400, 500 shows I've done. And I think the reason for it is there's nobody like him actually on the planet Earth. And so to get this one dude on the show today, it's just an honor for me. Let me give you a little bit of background on this guy. It's pretty incredible. Number one, uh, May 27, 2016, he ends up setting a world record. He conquered what they call the Explorer's Grand Slam Challenge, which means this. Listen to this, you guys. He summited the tallest peak in each of the seven continents, including Everest, skied the last degree of the North and South Pole. Less than 50 people have ever done this in the history of the planet Earth. Only like a handful have ever done it in less than a year. This dude does it in 139 days. And he's like, yeah, the other thing, then he decides he's going to go all the way across Antarctica, unmanned, like with no assistance, does that in a record time. And this is after, by the way, years before, burning his feet and legs to the point where he was told he may never walk again. This dude's bananas. And I cannot wait to get in his head and his heart to share his insights about how you can change your life. So Colin O'Brady, welcome to the show, brother. Ed, thanks for being here. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. By the way, new book out called The 12-Hour Walk. Invest one day, conquer your mind, and unlock your best life. So brother, I'm looking at all your stuff and I'm like, first off, I thought I was going to find a dude that was like six foot five, jacked. You know, I just, I don't know why I have this image, right? And I find out this is a very extremely fit man. But the depth of the things you talk about were so striking to me. And it sort of explains how you can achieve such extraordinary things with this mindset and heart that you have. The first thing I want to ask you about, because I'm like, this is my guy. You talk a lot about how everything's temporary. And that when you're going through these unbelievable physical and mental challenges you're doing, that we can have a tendency to think the pain I'm in is going to last forever. So will you elaborate on that? I think it's just, it's a life lesson. I've been talking about this exact thing a lot lately. The difference between me and you is you actually live it and do this stuff every single day. So let's just start right there. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's funny what you said. I, I get that feedback sometimes. You're like, oh, I thought you were going to be like six, five, like huge jack dude. Cause I pulled a sled 375 pounds right. by myself across Antarctica. And people kind of right. like, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but you kind of look like, I don't know, like a normal guy. <laughs> That's right. It's, uh, it's funny, man. But you know what I love to say? I say, and I know you believe this too. The most important muscle any of us have is the six inches between our ears. It's our mind, right? Yeah. It is It is our minds. And we all, every single person has the ability to flex and develop that. And that muscle, that muscle we can't so easily see within each other. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it, it's interesting, this idea of pain or this idea of discomfort. You know, so often, I think in our lives, we are afraid of experiencing pain, we hedge against it. So I've kind of started to think about life somewhat on the scale of one to 10. So one being our most painful, our most brutal kind of moments in life, you know, heartbreak, you lose, you lose a loved one. Um, you know, you mentioned I was severely burned in a fire and told I'll be never walk again normally. These are ones, right? We know what these are. And tens are the high highs, right? Falling in love. Uh, for me, setting my world records. Uh, for, you know, for you, you putting your book out and absolutely slaying it, you know, big achievements, you know, whatever that is, that's a 10, you know, we want tens. Mm -hmm. But what I've realized when I walk solo across Antarctica, you know, I get to the other side, I've lost 50 pounds. I've been out there for 54 days alone. I'm beat up. I'm brutal. And I touch that post on the other side, becoming the first person in history to, to do this. And it's a 10. Mm -hmm. And I realized I didn't experience my tens because of my ones. In spite of my, excuse me, in spite of my ones, I experienced them because of my ones, because the willingness to take on that temporary discomfort, that temporary pain. And as you said, that shifts. Problem is, is too often, I think everyone in our modern society, so often we get stuck in what I call the zone of comfortable complacency between four and six, right? 
between four and six. But it's like, you know, I got this job. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I go every single day. I spend all my time doing it. It's just five, five, five every single day, right? Or you're dating somebody. You've been together for a few years. You're living together. It's not toxic. It's not abusive. It's not a one. But you're just kind of like going through the motions with this person. It's just a five, five, five. People get stuck in this zone of comfortable complacency because they are hedging so hard against the ones. I'm so afraid of experiencing a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of pain. But guess what? When you take the ones off the table, you also take the tens off the table. So for me, the conclusion of that thought is like, for me, when I experience those ones, when I experience those downsides, that hardship, that discomfort, I've learned to smile at them realizing I'm going to embrace the ones because guess what? I've done myself a favor. I have opened up the door to a 10. The one is temporary as the pendulum swings back to that peak arc of that 10. Oh my gosh, brother. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. Like, I mean, <laughs> I've never heard that in my life before. You can't get the tens without the ones. Has there been a time in all of your excursions, your explorations that was even like a 0.5, meaning like you were out? I mean, was it the Antarctica trip? Was it the seven peaks? Was it the the 50 highest deals you did, highest peaks in the U.S.? Was it, has there been a point where you're like, uh, this, I, I got to give in here? Has there been a moment like that that stands out above all of them? You know, um, I had something happen to me a year and a half ago. I was in uh, Pakistan in 2000, uh, 2021, and I was attempting to be the first person in history to climb K2 in winter. So K2 is the second tallest mountain in the world. So I've climbed Everest twice. K2 is the second tallest, but it's actually a lot more dangerous and a lot more difficult to climb than Everest. Um, so much so that one in four people who summit K2 die trying. It's 25% fatality rate, super intense. And then I ratcheted that added up. Um, perhaps foolishly by trying to climb it in winter, which had never been climbed before. It's always been climbed in summer, but also not only the most dangerous mountain, but during the most dangerous, brutal time. We're talking, you know, minus 70 degrees outside, 100 mile per hour winds, wow. on the most difficult and technical mountain uh, in the world. And I was over there for, uh, that mountain takes about two months to climb. You got to climb up and down and stock camps. It's a whole kind of complicated thing, um, very remote part of the world. And finally, on February 4th of 2021, I'm pushing for the summit. Um, after two months, you know, I go up through the various camps. And I'm getting to the highest camp um, in this very historic attempt. And it, it's too long of a story to tell all the details. But long story short, my climbing partner, uh, a day or two earlier, had turned to me and he said, Colin, I've got an intuition. I think I might die up here. I'm going to turn around. Wow. And we knew the stakes of this expedition and we said to each other at sea level before we were, you know, tired and in the, in the moment, whatever we said, if anyone has that feeling, there's no pressure on the other ones. Not like, Oh, come on, man, suck it up. It's like, yo, I respect your decision. But he says, Colin, you're climbing. Amazing. I've never seen you climb so strong. Like you should go for it. Mm -hmm. And there was a couple other climbing teams on the mountain. And so I did. I kept climbing. And over the next two days, I tapped into the deepest flow state of my entire life. I've been in some powerful flow states where my body is just operating on another level, but this was like nothing. Every move was seamless. I was on these cliff sides of ice and rock where it dropped off 10,000 feet below me. There was no fear. I was tapped in. I was dialed. I was completely in flow. 24,000 feet above sea level. It's the middle of the night and I'm playing a rest there for a few hours boil some water, get warm, put new socks on, and then go for this historic summit push through about 20 hours through the next night and into the following morning. And as I'm getting in my tent, I hear this rustling outside. I hear these other people rustling outside. And again, I knew the other people on the mountain. There's only a few people in the world yeah. that are attempting this. And at the end of the day, like we're all friends, like there's some competition, but it's like, you know, the best climbers in the world are attempting this thing. We've become friends. And I hear this rustling outside and I heard something about people going, what, what do you have the tent? No, you have the tent, right? Don't you have the tent? These guys are arguing with each other outside of my tent. It's middle of the night, minus 70. And they have made a mistake where that the lower camps, they thought one person put something in their backpack and the other person put something in their backpack. And before they know it, they're at 24,000 feet on K2 in the middle of winter, a number of people with no shelter, oh my no shelter. I mean, it's like a dire, dire set of circumstances. And so they, they knock on my tent, Colin, is that you in there? And I was in there with a couple of Nepalese uh, Sherpas, friends of mine. And it's a tiny little tent. It's a three-man tent. We're already in there shoulder to shoulder. Mm -hmm. 
but I think, what can I do? Of course, I'm not going to let these guys stay out there in the middle of the night by themselves. And so I invite them in. And before I know it, there's seven guys crammed into a three-man tent on the edge of this precipice on K2. And I think to myself, well, this isn't good, obviously. This is a bad deal. This is a bad situation. And then we start talking about the summit push. And they say to me, Colin, this is a bad deal. I'm sorry about the tent situation, but we're good to go. We're going to rest for a couple hours and let's all go for it together. Your climbing partner already turned back. We can join forces. Like you got here hours before any of us. You're climbing best of like any person on this mountain. Like, let's go for it. Think of the headlines. Think of the praise. Think of the achievement. Think of all this. And there was something inside of me. Look, I'm the guy who have pushed through all these hard things. Your introduction to me, you know, like all the things I've done leading up to this. I'm sort of literally my brand is like the guy who pushes through when it gets hard. I close my eyes in this tent. I actually call home to my wife on a satellite phone, a crackly satellite connection, describe it to her. And she goes, I trust you. Do follow your heart. I believe in you. You're one of the best, you know, one of the best in the world. You got this. So I close my eyes in that moment. I go into a little bit of a meditation, a little bit of a breathing. I go deep, deep, deep into my gut. And what my gut tells me is don't go. Mm. Don't go. And I, and I sat with that for a second. I don't go. I'm the guy who goes, don't go. And then I went one step further. I went to my ego, went to my ego. And I said, okay, if I don't go and they go and they reach the summit, I'm picturing them on the global headlines, the, the praise, the sponsorships, the, you know, external achievement side of this. Can my ego handle that? Like, am I prepared to have my ego handle that? Cause I'm not going to cheer against my friends here. If they go, I'm going to say, Hey, go smash it. I'm proud of you guys. So I played that out, actually fell into that feeling. And the intuition still said, don't go, don't go. And the second I made that choice and spoke it out loud, my entire body relaxed. I said, you know what? I got to get home to Jenna and Jack. Jack's my dog. Jenna's my beautiful wife. We're trying to start a family right now. And I said, this moment, my intuition is calling me back home. After two months on this mountain, achievement just 20 hours away. The guys couldn't believe it. I tell them, I'm not going. I'm not going. They're like, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? You're, not, you're the guy. Well, you're not going. What, what is going on? You're not going. I said, I'm not going. There's just something inside of me telling me not to go. I love you guys. I wish you well. I cannot wait to celebrate with you guys back down at base camp tomorrow after you slay this dragon. They step out of the tent. They climb through the night. I rest until sunrise, put on my climbing harness, climb all the way. You know, It takes me hours and hours and hours to climb all the way back down to base camp. And we find out over the next 24 hours that five of my friends die on that mountain and never come home. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And oh my gosh. Your question was about turning back. Mm-hmm. And I write about this story in Richard Detail in the 12 hour walk, my new book, from the perspective of tuition, intuition. Mm-hmm. I fundamentally believe the power of our minds, the strength of our minds. And one of those things is all sorts of pieces of mindset, as you and I both well know. But one of them is intuition. And more often than not, particularly with the big questions in life and how the big questions don't have to be life or death on the side of the mountain, but big decisions, right? About love, about life, about inspiration, about purpose. We try to make all these to-do lists. We try to logic through it. Should I do this? If I do A makes B and B makes C and this and ask all our friends and this and that and the other thing. But don't underestimate the power of the fact that you know, you actually know more often than not in these big decisions. And learning to trust my instincts and my God over time saved my life 100%. Colin, that's one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard in my life. So I did about, no joke. I did about 12 to 15 actual hours preparing to talk with you. Hmm. And the reason is, is because I became so fascinated by you. I couldn't stop listening and reading and, and, um, you know, downloading your mindset and your thoughts. And of all that preparation, I never, I knew this was in the book, but I never thought that's what you would say when I asked you that question. That's what Hmm. blows my mind because you are the go guy. You were that close. Right. And thank God for that intuition. You're a remarkable guy and God bless them. I'm sorry to hear about that loss. Yeah. That's an incredible freaking story. I um, I wonder when you're doing what you're doing, because this voice you listen to, right? And I, I think that's so profound that you went within. And um, I feel like there's this thing in life, and you talk about it so eloquently. I have to imagine you're good at this, better than most. 
that we do listen to this voice. And oftentimes this voice is like a story we're telling ourselves about our life, right? And I just don't think most people are, are as cognizant of this story they keep telling themselves and how much they are actually just living out this story that they tell themselves over and over again. I have to imagine you've taken control of that narrative in your life better than most people to have done what you've done. Talk a little bit about that story piece of our lives. So I'm a big believer in this. I think I've heard you say this on social and I always smile every time that I encounter people that believe this because we're uh, kindred spirits in this way, which is we are the stories we tell ourselves. We are the stories we tell ourselves. But guess what? You get to choose what story that is, right? You get to choose. Look, I grew up poor. I grew up with very little resources. I figured out a way to say, I still want to climb Mount Everest. I still want to achieve these goals. I still want to figure out how to get myself an education. I got myself into Yale University when I was 17 years old from a public school kid with no money in Portland, Oregon. And I've had a great influences. My mother's a strong influence in my life. It's, a, it's been helpful to help build this mindset, a mindset that I call a possible mindset, an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story about the stories we tell ourselves. So in 2018, I uh, get this idea that I want to become the first person in history to cross Antarctica solo. Just incredible. Uh, I've had set a few world records at this point. But the next thing for me, I always like to ask people, what's your Everest? You know, my first Everest was climbing Everest. That was my childhood dream. But I summited Everest at 30, you know, my 30 years old. Like, what would I do? Kick my feet up and do nothing for the rest of my life? Like, what's my next Everest? Yeah. And what I got fascinated by was continuing to push my body. A lot of my creative expression in the world comes through sort of these physical pursuits. Um, and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to try to do something that not just a record, but that nobody in history has ever done before? Mm-hmm. So I spent a year training and planning and preparing and getting ready to go do this solo Antarctica crossing, something that people have been trying for a hundred years, something that people had died trying, some people had failed trying. I take this interview with the New York Times and it's, you know, a big interview for me, you know, hey, I'm going to attempt this thing. No one's done it. My project's called The Impossible First. And on the same day, across the ocean in London, a British badass Navy SEAL kind of guy and Captain Lewis Rudd takes basically the same interview with the London Herald, but we don't know about each other. And so these two articles come out on the same day effectively. And they both say American Colin O'Brady aims to be the first person to cross Antarctica solo. And in London it says British polar explorer, badass military dude, Lewis Rudd is attempting to become the first person in history to cross Antarctica solo. We cross reference someone goes, wait, is that a race? Because here's the thing. People don't realize it's about Antarctica. We know it's super remote part of the world. There's no one down there. But there is one season, the summer, the Antarctic summer, where it's only minus 40 instead of minus 100, um, that you can do this crossing. And there's also only one dude with one plane that can take you to the edge of the Antarctic continent. And so we both called, of course, the one dude. No (laughs) way, dude. No way. we, we We find ourselves shoulder to shoulder one week after this in a cargo plane sitting shoulder to shoulder to get dropped off on the edge of the frozen continent no longer just racing history (laughs) but about to race 1000 miles mano a mano head to head each pulling a 375 pound sled behind us with all of our food and fuel which was going to be nowhere near enough to survive but or enough to feed ourselves properly but to barely survive so I look over at Lou and this guy, this dude is like, I've, I know about him. I know he's one of the most famous polar explorers in the world, way more experienced than I am at this point. And he's just a badass. He's a special forces military, British military dude. <laughs> and I look over at him and I'm trying to not talk myself out of this race before it even starts, but I can't help. I'm intimidated. And I say to him, Hey, gentlemen's agreement. How about we don't get dropped off right next to each other? Cause if we're literally right next to each other, a thousand mile race, like this is going to be ridiculous. And I, I, I say to him, how about, we get dropped off one mile away from each other, but equidistant to the first waypoint. So same distance, but just we're not like literally standing next to each other when we start. And he goes, yeah, yeah, fine. So this tiny little cargo plane lands on the frozen continent, edge of the frozen continent. I hop out, I get my 375 pound sled out. And the plane, this little cargo plane, it doesn't even take off. It just drives across the ice for about a mile. <laughs> and I see this dude jump out. Like I can see him, you know, it's like Antarctica. You can see forever. So it's just like, I can see him. He's like right there. Might as well be standing next to me. Anyways, we kind of wave to each other and that's the official like, okay, ready, wow. set, go. 
I pull up my GoPro. I try to say something like ridiculous and profound, like a journey of a thousand miles, you know, pretend like I'm Ernest Shackleton or something like that. <laughs> we did it. That's right. And, I tried it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I pull and I put my harness on. I've got this harness that's connected to my sled. The reason that it's so heavy is because they're doing something called unsupported. So no resupplies of food or fuel along the way, completely self-supported, which means whatever you take with you in the beginning is all that you have for a thousand mile journey. Just crazy. Yeah. And I had trained as hard as I could, trained my body, trained my mind, was ready to go, put put this harness on, and I begin to start pulling the sled, and I pull into it, and I, I'm like, I can't move it. I can't move it. And I'm like, okay, well, shake it off, shake it off. You're fine. You know, I just had early nerves, whatever. And I try to pull it again. I can pull it 10 feet, 10 oh. feet. <laughs> I'm like, what's, uh, did I not train well? Is I'm sick or something? I start second guessing myself, yeah. right? That's that negative story in my head starts to like come up. I finally take about an hour and I've moved like a quarter mile, like in these like 10 foot, 20 foot, like spurts. And I start crying. I just fall apart and I start crying. But but what happens when it's minus 30 degrees outside and you start crying? The tears, they start freezing to your face, bro. (laughs) It's amazing, man. Which is like, if you want to know the all-time most pathetic feeling in the world, it's being alone in the middle of nowhere with frozen tears on your face, like feeling sorry for yourself. I thought it couldn't get any worse. And I thought, okay, misery loves company. Knew the sled was going to be the heaviest on the first day because as you eat food and you burn fuel, obviously it gets a little bit like a pound lighter every single day. And so I think, what's happening with Captain Lou? I finally decide to look over in his direction. I look over to the right thing and he must be struggling too. Mm. Instead, I see a full military man in uninterrupted march, goosh, 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 disappearing across the horizon, gone. He's not having any issues, and he's gone. So I pull out my satellite phone. My wife has just been my rock throughout my entire life, and we've built and built these projects together and and dreamed these things up, not just a loving partner, but a business partner and just a co-dreamer, co-conspirator in all of our dreams. I pull out the phone and I call her and she answers. She goes, why call me? Didn't you just start? And I said, we had, like I said, we named our project the impossible first. I said, well, babe, I think we named our project the right thing. Um, this is for sure impossible. Which is what are you talking about? I was like, I can't even pull my sled like 10 feet at a time. Oh my gosh. So she says to me, she goes, this is good wisdom. She says, forget about the race. Forget about the external pressure of, you know, the New York times where people are watching you do this or whatever. Cause I was just embarrassed, man. I was mm-hmm. embarrassed. Right. Like I uh, mm-hmm. told people I could do this. And I thought, you know what, I might fail on the 30th or 40th or 50th day. And I know that you appreciate this spirit, which is, I literally thought it might be impossible, you know, like doing badass stuff that you don't exactly know how you're going to pull it off. Like that's the entrepreneurial spirit. That's how yeah. amazing stuff gets created in the world. But I'll be honest. I didn't think I was going to fail on the first day. I thought I might fail day 50. I was okay with that. (laughs) So anyways, she says, do me a favor. Just get to the first waypoint. It's another half a mile. Drag your sled there somehow. Set up your tent. Get inside your tent. Reset. Rest. Get your mind right. And tomorrow's a new day. Just make a little bit more progress. So I did exactly that. And I go to bed that night. It's 24 hours of daylight in Antarctica. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a bizarre thing. It's got eye mask on. It feels like it's high noon the entire time. It's, it's, it's crazy, uh, very disorienting. But I set my alarm for 5 a.m. to get up early and get a you know, fresh start on the day. Alarm goes off. And I joke around. I say, well, well, who is in the sled with who is in the tent with me? It's not Captain Lou. He didn't come back to check on me. He, <laughs> he was done. He, he had dusted me. I was crammed into that tent with the five worst versions of myself. Of course, I was sitting there, but, you know, proverbially, there was five other versions of me in there. Colin, you suck, man. Colin, how embarrassing. Colin, you told everyone you're going to do this. You are, you are a miserable. This is, this is the most embarrassing thing of your life. You're not strong. You're not capable. You suck, man. All of these different versions of me just beating up on myself. And you asked, we are the stories we tell ourselves. In that moment, I was telling myself the most negative story I could possibly tell. Mm. And I was grasping for straws, but I know I believe this before this expedition. We are the stories we tell ourselves and we get to choose. And I could barely cut through the chatter in my own brain and my own mind in this moment. And so I literally got up out of my sleeping bag, got out of my tent into the minus 30 degree cold, put my arms as wide as I could, and not just in my head, but out loud to myself in the endless Antarctica abyss, I yelled, Colin, you are strong. You are capable. And I kept yelling that. You are strong. You are capable. Trying to drown out the noise of this. 
Mm. And look, it's not like it made the next day super easy or the day after that, Mm -hmm. but it started to rewrite my mindset. It started to allow me to be a little more gentle on myself. It started to, by the end, by day four, by day five, by day six, I started writing, Colin, the story is you're strong and capable and you can make it across this continent. My gosh, bro. And that's the difference, man. We have the choice. We are the stories we tell ourselves. But that story has not been written by somebody else. That story has been written by you. You get to decide. I'm so grateful that I'm here right now. Just so I want to know. I just want to. I just want to tell you what, what it's like in my body right now. I'm just really grateful I'm here with you right now. It's really interesting. A lot of people, man, say really inspiring things. You actually did and lived this. You act, he actually did this. It's bananas. And I'm just so grateful. Like any of you listening to this that are telling yourselves these stories, and you got the five worst versions of you. Imagine if he can change where he was, by the way, let's just do a little spoiler alert here. And then we're going to get into the 12 hour walk because it's connected to this, but what ends up happening between you and him? What, what ends up happening? <laughs> um, you know, the, the spoiler alert is, uh, I do pass him. I do, I do end up winning the race. 54 days later, I uh, get to the other side of the Antarctic continent. And the 12-hour walk is connected to a moment on day six. You know, I'll just share that briefly as we talk about this new book. And really, I want everyone listening to realize this new book that I have out, I've written a whole book as New York Times bestselling memoir about the impossible first, about the Antarctica crossing, which is implicitly inspiring in the ways it is as a storytelling. And it's exciting if you're interested in checking that out. But my new book, The 12-Hour Walk, what I'm so excited by is that it's core. I'll entertain the hell out of you. It's got inspiring stories. It's edge of your seat. It's page turning. But this isn't a book about me. I'm not the hero of this story. You, the reader, you, the listener, are the hero of this story. This is a book that is a call to action that invites you to take on something that is accessible out your front door that in one day will change your life for the better. And as the subtitle of the book says, invest one day, conquer your mind and unlock your best life. Mm -hmm. I'm inviting you, and we'll talk more about this, on a 12-hour walk by yourself, alone, no music, no podcast, right out your front door to go deep into your mind, your psyche. But the way, and again, I know we'll loop back on that, but the way that that came to be, I told my wife, even when she gave me this great wisdom in Antarctica, get to the next waypoint, reset. I told her, 10 hours is the furthest I could ever, ever pull this damn sled. It's just too heavy. She goes, I'm looking at the spreadsheet, Colin. You don't have enough food for going in only 10 hours. You're not making it far enough. Can you go any further? I go, no, I love you. And I appreciate you're trying to bring out the best of me, but I am at, that is my limit. That is my absolute limit of what is possible for me. And on day six, to my complete and utter surprise in the midst of a whiteout, I spot a tent in the distance. I can't believe it. I'm pretty sure there's no one else wandering around the middle of Antarctica by right, themselves. I've actually right. found this guy, right. you know, like in the case there's somebody else, there's no one there. It's literally the middle of freaking nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, I caught up to him. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I would ever see him again. Mm-hmm. And I sneak past his tent trying to go quietly in this whiteout, but I hear him as I, he can hear me sliding past and I hear this coughing <clears throat> and this unzipping of the tent and Captain Lou pops his head outside and he starts kind of waving at me slow like he's the king of England or something like that. <laughs> and I continue on, try to kind of ignore it, keep my head down. And it's really hard to navigate in a whiteout in Antarctica. It's like if you were walking down a dark hallway with your eyes closed, you're going to smack into the wall pretty quick. As humans without visual cues, like you can't walk in a straight line. So I'm staring down at this compass, you know, one step to the right, one step to the left, trying to stay in a straight line. It's so disorienting. Wow. A few hours later, I look behind me. And what do I see? I see Captain Lou 100 feet behind me, but he's got no compass out. He's just staring at me, letting me you navigate through the whiteout yeah. for him, just chilling. <laughs> just chilling. <laughs> you got to give him credit, man. The yeah. wily polar veteran has a few yeah. tricks up his sleeve, and he's yes. playing one on me right that moment. Yes. So I'm frustrated, and I slow down. I make him force him to come up to me, and he comes up beside of me, and he looks, you know, he goes, he's all chipper, actually, all cheery and chipper. He's like, hey, uh, good morning, mate. Like, hey, how are you doing? Um, you know, I got a bit of a suggestion for you. I'm like, a suggestion? Like we're out here in this battle, battle of all battles. You got a friendly suggestion for me. And I stop him there and I say, Lou, I don't wish any ill will on you. We know someone's died trying this. I don't want something bad to happen to you. 
but let this be the last time we speak. And in my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way he's like just offering some friendly advice in the middle right. of nowhere. Like, let right. this be the last time we speak. Yeah. And he's got this eye mask on, you know, our faces are completely covered because any exposed skin, we get frostbite in like two minutes. So he pulls off his full uncovered face mask so I can see his eyes and he just looks, his eyes bears them into me and he just goes, suit yourself. As if he's like, you know, was going to like give me the keys. And the whole, All right, suit yourself. Fine. <laughs> but I'm determined. I'm like, Lou, this is the last time we're ever going to speak. I'll see you later. But the funny thing about saying see you later to a guy who's also pulling a 300 pound sled is like, I'll see you later. And like we're like walking like one step and we're headed in the same direction. Bro. <laughs> we're like freaking shoulder to shoulder with one another. Like, I'll see you later. Don't talk to me. An hour goes by. He's right next to me. And it's now seven hours into the day. Eight hours goes by. We're still shoulder to shoulder. If someone was watching this, be like, what are these two dudes doing? Like we're right next to each other in the middle of nowhere, like pretending like the other one's not there. Wow. Nine hours goes by and I think to myself, I am not going to stop until I finish in front of him. So it no longer matters to me how much time is on the clock. I'm just going to go an hour further than he goes. 10 hours goes by my limit. I could never pull my sled more than 10 hours. What I just told my wife, I could never do that. 10 hours goes by. I'm determined to keep going. 10 and a half hours goes by, determined to keep going. 11 hours goes by, determined to keep going. He finally reaches down and he pulls out his tent. And I think I've got him at least for today. I'm going to go one more hour. And so I push one more hour, 12 hours that day. And as I get into my tent that night, my wife realized what my wife had told me before, Colin, if you want to stay in front, but more importantly, if you actually want to get to the other side without running out of food, having to get evacuated from there, you got to go further. And so I said to myself, well, if I went 12 hours once, can I do it again tomorrow? One more time. Can I do it again through on the third day, on the fourth day? And I went 12 hours every single day without taking a break for the next 48 days in a row, a recalibration of the limits within me. And so the 12 hours themselves are built upon this, but there's a, there's a more of connected tissue to the the so-called real world side of this speaker. My body got so weak out there. Like I said, I lost 40, 50 pounds, something like that. I had frostbite on my face. I was, my wife didn't even recognize me when I got home because I was so skinny. But my mind got stronger. I had deleted almost all my music, all my podcasts. I spent this time in these flow states, exploring them in deep, deep interior of my mind. I was afraid and that was frightening and scary at first. But ultimately what I found was bliss and peace and a connectedness to what I call infinite love. Call it spirit, call it God, call it whatever you want, the universe. I felt the oneness of humanity, although I was the most lonely, uh, solitude person on the entire planet. Mm. In the last week, the last 10 days, in this flow state of solitude of these 12 hours, I felt connected to my wife, to my family, to love, to infinite love in a way that I had never felt before, completely full up. As my body got weaker, my mind got stronger and more connected to my deepest and truest purpose. And it was beautiful, man. It was beautiful. Oh, and that's amazing. You, uh, I want to keep going on this. Uh, Do you believe that that, so what you talk about, that story i'm just watching these two dudes just like inching next to each other not talking that just blows my mind and then somehow (laughs) the competitive spirit whatever it is recalibrates the limits i hope everyone's listening or watching today thinking through their own life through your prism that's where the lessons lie it's not in you can very easily get caught up in colin's story about how remarkable it is and his incredible ability to tell stories But I think for the rest of the show, everybody, as you're listening to this man's stories, I want you thinking about yours as you hear his, because that's where the lessons are. That's with your own limitations, the stories you're telling yourself, the five versions of you. The first question he asks in the book, and I'm not going to go through all of it in the book, is what's your Everest? What's your Everest? And by the way, for me, it was really interesting. I said, I know. And then I started to read the chapter. I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I'm as clear on my overall life Everest as I could be. And I'm a guy who does this kind of with people for a living. And the reason that I mention this to everybody is I think the walk may be connected to you getting clearer about your Everest. The walk to me, Colin, is like a metaphor for time with self. And you talk in the book, and I'll, you can you can weave this however you want into the book, but you talk about one of the great gifts of all these explorations you've had and the meditation you do is awareness of self. Yes. And I feel like, man, like there's this story that we tell ourselves, which is just this version we've created of us. 
But then there's all these distractions. There's our worries. There's our fears. There's technology and the technology, the TV, the social media, the relationships, when our angst, our financial issues, all this, they're all really diversions of awareness of self. There's mm -hmm. millions of things sort of collaborating to distract us from ourselves. And I think that's the profound power of this book is that yeah. it swims, it fights against that. So talk about awareness of self and how it's tied into the profound nature of the book and the work you do. Totally. And I love what you said at the top of that comment, which is I share these stories. I don't, I don't need to be patted on the back. Oh, Colin, you did this. You walk across Antarctica. The reason I'm passionate about storytelling and sharing them ways this is because about of you, because of you, the listener, because of you, the reader of the book. This is only my one shared experience. And guess what's amazing about life? We all have epic stories. We all have a life story that we're living and that we're authoring. We all have so much to learn from each other. And the 12-hour walk, the book, the concept, the call to action, the global movement, this is about you. And I'll get into how that connects. So I get back. I get back from Antarctica and I'm riding high, man. Not just, yeah, yeah a bunch of external praise, made millions of dollars, blah, 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 whatever. But I'm when I say I'm riding high, just emotionally. I'm just good spiritually in a good place with myself. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. self-awareness is just, wow, opened up my eyes. Mm -hmm. Bunch of good things happen for, for the next couple of years. I do another world record where I row a boat across Drake Passage, the most dangerous stretch of ocean in the world. Big Discovery Channel documentary. My next book becomes a New York Times bestseller. You know, things are going well for me. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hits. And then COVID hits. March of 2020, I'm on the middle of that book tour canceled i've got a big expedition in nepal that's going to be filmed all those things canceled and i don't pretend my expedition my book tour being canceled at least the world's problems in this moment right. people are dying you know people right. the borders are closing but i'm locked now in my house completely different than the path that i thought that i was walking down disrupted like we all were march april may of 2020 we all remember that moment right yep my wife and i go to the oregon coast my family has a small cabin and that's where we spend our time locked down just our dog me and my wife and at one point, my wife looks over at me and she's not used to seeing this side of me, but she goes, I'm worried about you. So what are you talking about? She goes, Colin, you haven't changed out of your pajamas in three days. And you're literally just sitting there doom scrolling social media and the news. Every five minutes, I'm announcing, did you see the borders closing here? Do you see this person died? I'm so worried about my grandparents. I'm sure about my parents. Justice in this spiral of fear. Mm -hmm. And it was a crazy time, right? And a very uncertain, anxietous time. But I had completely lost that center of myself that I had found in Antarctica. And I had gone down this path of anxiety, of fear, uh, of just not feeling centered. And she was right. Again, my wife, just my anchor, my rock. She was right. And so I sat with myself that day and I said, when was the last time that I felt connected to self, peaceful, less anxietous? And I said, crazy enough, despite the minus 40 degree temperatures and this 70 per hour winds in my face, whatever, it was those last 10 days in Antarctica. What was I doing during that time? Well, I guess I was just walking alone in silence. And so I said to my wife, maybe this sounds ridiculous, but she always laughs because you see me do so many ridiculous, they seemingly ridiculous things. And I say, I'm going to be gone all day tomorrow. She goes, okay, it's a lockdown. Like, where are you going? <laughs> and I said, mm -hmm. I'm just going to walk out the front door. And I'm going to walk for, I don't know, 12 hours. I'll see you at dinner. Just like I did in Antarctica. She's like, great. So I walk out my front door that next day, 20 minutes into the walk, my phone buzzes in my pocket. My best friend is texting me about something and I pull my phone out and I'm about to text him back. And I think to myself, like, what am I doing? I've been doom scrolling my news. I've been staring at my social media. I've been in my notifications and all this kind of stuff. I don't need my phone today. So I put it on airplane mode. And for the next 12 hours, I walk in silence, no music, no podcast, no inputs. I take breaks, I rest, but I'm alone with my thoughts this entire time. And I walk back in the door of this cabin. My dog jumps up on me and my wife goes, you're back. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you, you know, I was coming back around dinner time. And she goes, no, no, you're back. You're back. She could just see it in me. I hadn't even said a word, but she just, my spirit was back. And I said, you're right. This is the best that I felt in a long time. Now, to be honest, I didn't think too much of it because I thought to myself, great. I'm the guy who walked across Antarctica and walked all this time and spent all this time alone. Like it was a good check-in, a good reset for me. I'm happy about that. Because COVID kept unfolding, we had so many friends, as we all did, friends, colleagues, family members who were going through hard times. And I just started mentioning this to people. Hey, I know this might sound crazy, but turn my phone off and went outside for 12 hours and walked by myself. Maybe you should try it. Mm 
And before I knew it, all sorts of people started taking me up on this. People young, people old, my 77-year-old mother-in-law. And her 12-hour, I said, take as many breaks as you want. Her 12-hour walk looked like her walking one time around her block, then sitting on her front porch in silence for an hour, and then taking another walk. She maybe covered a mile. My crazy ultra-marathon friend did 50 miles of walking through the San Francisco hills and whatever. Neither one of them is doing the 12-hour walk better than the other one. I don't care if you walk for one mile or 50. It's about committing to one day of the stillness and the silence of your own mind. And now I've had thousands and thousands and thousands of people from all over the world. I think there's like 40 or 50 countries already. Every continent, you know, people have done this walk. My, My goal is to inspire 10 million people to take this walk. But what all those different people have in common, and hopefully those listening are are fascinated or curious about this for themselves, is that young, old, fit, not so fit, you know, in in a great place in their life and a not so great place in their life. By taking this 12 hours, people have that awareness. They have that reset. And the book, the book is written through this lens of something you talked about before, which is limiting beliefs. Yes. The book is broken down into these 10 most common limiting beliefs. Cause I asked this question to so many people and I know you've done this in your work, Ed, I asked this question, what's holding you back from living your best life? What's holding you back from being your best self? And I've asked that to thousands of people. And you would think you ask one question to thousands of people, maybe you get thousands of answers. It turns out you just get the same few answers over and over and over again. And the question is, here's what's holding me back, Colin. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I'm not strong enough. What if I fail? What if people criticize me? I don't have the answer myself inside. And so the book breaks down those 10 most common limiting beliefs, but through the lens of the walk, the answer, the antidote to all of those things actually lies within you. And by taking 12 hours, I'm not vilifying technology. Technology is allowing me to have this conversation with you and for millions of people to hear it. You and I both embrace storytelling on social media and things like that. But, but, but if you never take a break ever, if you never take a moment to not distract yourself, as you mentioned, Ed, by all of these things that we have swirling, you fail to know yourself. And so the 12 hour walk is an invitation one day. It might sound like a long time, but the sun's gonna come up tomorrow and it's gonna set before you know it. In that amount of time, you can fundamentally change your life. It is free, it's right outside your front door. I've created an app and a website that helps support all that, 12hourwalk.com. I become your accountability partner, but it's literally free and accessible for any person. Like I said, take as many breaks as you want. But the person that you will be when you walk back in that front door, as Jenna, my wife, said to me, you're back. You will find yourself or that purpose again. And it is simple but profound. The depth of the programming on this, Colin, is so, is so profound. I, I, um, we weren't designed to be like we are right now. We weren't designed to be in these little boxes. We weren't designed to be getting input all the time. We we weren't put together this way as humans, yet we function this way. And this limiting belief part of the book is profound. It's actually part two of the book. And he goes through, you know, I hate being uncomfortable. I don't have enough money. I don't have all these different things. And, you know, you really are, you can begin to believe all these limiting beliefs when you're not aware of yourself. Mm-hmm. But when you actually do things, there's two things about your work that blow my mind. One, the walk. I have to tell you that I was preparing for this interview. I decided to take a walk, getting ready to read the 12 hour walk. I love that. Right. So I live at the beach and I walked and it's a beautiful view. I didn't get a hundred yards without grabbing my phone and all these different reasons. I grabbed it. It did buzz with the text. Then I'm like, I got to get a picture of that wave right there. Wait a minute. This would be a great social media post right here. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get a hundred yards. And I'm thinking, And then I finally said, can you do this favor? I haven't read your book yet at that time. Like, can you walk from this end of the freaking beach to the (laughs) other end of the beach without grabbing your phone? And just that was a gift to me. Just that alone with my steps, I could hear my breathing. I looked at my feet in the sand. By the way, I could have been in the park anywhere. The next week, I'm in Central Park. I was doing Good Morning America. And I had done the show. I'm like, I'm just going to go take a walk. And it felt incredible to keep my phone in my pocket and now from now on i'm going to take it with me sometimes never mind a 12-hour walk so there's two things about your work one i think pushing yourself to these places you don't think you could go you then learn things about you you didn't know so that's one part of your work this extreme see if i can go do this not enough of you listening to this or seeing if you can go do something not knowing you can not being completely prepared, just seeing if you can go do something, you will learn so many things and become so much more self-aware. And then ironically, the other part of that from that walk in Antarctica 
is this idea of just unplugging. And so mm-hmm. what would you, I just want to allow, I just want to make sure I give my stamp on both parts of it. Cause I think they're, they're connected, but they're different, right? What if you had never pushed yourself to an extreme? I'm just curious The let you burned your legs and your feet. And by the way, he's in this hospital. It's unsanitary. There's cat walking over his body. Like, and again, his mom comes and what if after that, because he decides, by the way, I just got to give this away to everybody. It blows my mind. He's like, his mom says, what's your Everest? Basically, while he's laying there. He's like, I don't know. I'm never going to get out of here. I'm never going to walk again. And I'll just speak it for Colin. Colin says, um, I'll do a triathlon. 18 months later, this dude does a triathlon after he was told he could never walk again. And he freaking wins it. <laughs> he freaking wins the triathlon. It's insane. And then you've gone on. What if you had never pushed yourself? Never known what you were capable of because there's a lot of people calling that go through this whole life in the five six range, mm-hmm. never knowing what they're capable of. What if you would have never done that in your life? How much different do you think you would be? Your marriage would be, you as oh a my person gosh. would be. Just, I mean, I don't know if you ever sit back and think about that. What if I'd have never seen what I was capable of? It, it's such a powerful and important question, and it, it, it just I'm smiling because it just strikes at the heart of the what I'm passionate about sharing, what I've shared about those ones and tens, you know, people have asked me, and it's a different question, but it's come from the same place of, I was 22 years old. The reason I got burned in this fire was I was, I jumped a flaming jump rope. I was on a beach in Thailand, 22 years old, clearly not a fully formed prefrontal cortex. And I saw a couple (laughs) guys with a kerosene soaked jump rope. And I was like, gee, that looks like fun. What could possibly go wrong here? Right. And I wrapped that rope around my body, lit my fire completely on, lit my body on fire to my neck. And I thankfully was near the ocean, jumped in the ocean, saved my life, but not before about 25% of my body was burned, as you mentioned, predominate my legs and feet. And doctors thought I would never walk again normally. And I spent months in rural Thai hospitals. I was in a wheelchair, all these things. Right. And people have asked me, well, if you could go back in a time machine and whisper to your 22 year old self, would you tell him not to jump the jump rope? Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting question because the knee-jerk response is, of course, don't jump the jump rope. Don't, don't light your body on fire. And I wouldn't wish the physical pain of that injury on my worst enemy. And I'll tell you what was worse than the physical pain was the emotional trauma, not only that I suffered. My mom, thank God, she saved me from that mess, but she also had to stare and see her child severely burned in a place where no one spoke the language in the middle of nowhere that she couldn't move and the hurt that that caused her and my family. So on one hand, I wouldn't want to cause that hurt to anyone in my family. But here's the thing. I learned some of life's most valuable lessons from the resilience gained to recover from that, from having that specific goal, at least for me, which was a triathlon. And so that's all to say, I sit here with 10 world records and we're not talking about the 10 world records that I set before I stupidly burned myself in a fire and screwed up my entire life. Mm -hmm. I set those records after that burn and I only could have walked across Antarctica if I had burned myself in the fire and forget about the external achievement. I love that you brought up marriage into this. Mm -hmm. I show up for my wife with love and compassion and grace. And I don't always get it right. I'm not perfect. But I am a better person because I have sought out what 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 uh, the limitations and the challenges and, and I've, I've suffered some. And so it's a weird thing. I know. I know you were uh, uh, I was just listening to your most recent episode with uh, Eric, the hip hop preacher. Love that dude. What a guy. And you're saying you're saying to him, he's like, you know, he's he's been homeless. And, and he's been in the four seasons, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's been illiterate and he's got a PhD. Yeah. There is something about pushing the edges of what we're capable of in any given moment that teaches us so much about life. And that's why people ask me, even after I share a story about five of my friends dying, five of my friends dies. I, there's not a day that goes by. I tear up often still 18 months later, thinking about the tragedy of that moment that I shared. And people sometimes ask me, they say, Hey, Colin, aren't you afraid of dying? I think about it. Yeah, I'm afraid of dying. I'm super afraid of dying. This life is such a gift. I am afraid of dying. But you know what I'm more afraid of? I'm afraid of not living. I'm afraid of not living. And just sitting there in that five day after day after day and never seeing what you're capable of and never seeing what you can create and never feeling into your full potential even if to feel into that hurts a little bit for a moment in time those ones those twos those threes that is the juice of life 
That's the spice. And the 12 hour walk, even the walk itself is a metaphor for this experience. Guess what? If you walk for 12 hours, even if you take a ton of breaks, your feet are going to get tired at some point. You might be a little bit out of your comfort zone in terms of bring some food with you, bring some water. You might be a little dehydrated. You might get a blister on your foot. You might be tired. You might think to yourself, I hate being alone. This is uncomfortable. Yes, you are likely going to experience some ones, some twos, some threes on that day. But how many five days over the last 365 can you not even remember? What'd you do last Tuesday? What'd you do a month ago? What'd you do two months ago? There are so many days in our life that don't even imprint and register in our memory because they're just eh, because you're not alive. You're not fully living. You take this 12-hour walk, you're going to seek some discomfort. It is going to be challenging at times. But I guess, guess, guess you what? If I ask you a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, have you ever walked very far? You know what? 10 years ago, I did walk by myself alone in silence. It's not going to be a five-day. You're going to feel some ones, some twos, some threes. But every person I know to get back to their front door, every person I know that wakes up in their bed the following day with a few sore muscles, this. It's a seven, it's an eight, more often than not, a nine, a 10. Thank you, I felt alive. I am not afraid of, as afraid of dying as I am afraid of not living. Oh my gosh, Colin. Again, I just have to tell you, I'm so grateful I'm sharing this time with you, brother. You like, I feel the exact same, man. So fun to be here with you. When you're talking, I think about this thing I say often, which is extremity expands capacity. When you do something to what you think is an extreme, you expand your capacity to do extreme things, even if they don't seem very significant to you. And then I think about, this might be an ironic thing I just wanted to tell you when I was prepping, but take this the right way. And I know that, I, I just say it the way I mean it, I don't, I don't, no grain of salt. This is a dude who struggled to jump rope with some fire, right? I know you're a college swimmer, but jug, and <laughs> the same dude who couldn't jump rope with some fire that almost ended his life is now doing world records across Antarctica, climbing peaks, doing the Grand Slam. So it's amazing. I think oftentimes we think, well, I'm not very good at something now, so I'll like never be good at it. Mm. Well, this is a dude who didn't even jump rope correctly when he was 22 years old. I know there was fire with it and all that. But then to think that same dude is now the dude shattering all these records that literally no physical living human being has ever done before is a dude who couldn't get the jump rope thing right when he's 22 in Thailand. Do you ever think about that? Like, like well, what you... That proves extremity expands capacity, right? Well, I'll, go, I'll go one step further, which is after the Antarctica crossing, I had a lot of doors open to me. There was so much press media, 2 billion media impressions, the most widely viewed expedition in modern history. And of course, um, that's going to open some doors, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was a beautiful experience, a beautiful moment in time that I'm deeply humbled and grateful for. We was able to build a very successful and lucrative series of businesses on the back of that, et cetera, et cetera. But I decide that Barazon's, what's your next expedition? And I get this idea to row a boat across Drake Passage. So a rowboat, tiny little rowboat, for people who don't know, Drake Passage is the most treacherous stretch of ocean in the entire world. So from the southern tip of South America, all the way to Antarctica, 750 miles. It's where the Atlantic and Pacific and Southern Ocean all converge. And that convergence of those ocean currents creates like 40 foot waves and there's icebergs, it's freezing cold. I mean, it's insane. There's been a laundry list of thousands of boats that have shipwrecked in Drake Passage, but not just like 100 years ago. 10 years ago, a cruise ship sunk in the middle of Drake Passage. Like, that's how crazy, like, that's a modern time cruise ship still sunk in Drake Passage. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get a couple of buddies and we're going to row a boat, no motor, no sail, 28 foot long, three foot wide, two feet off the water's edge and open hole. So we're getting crashed the entire time. So I go to discuss Discovery Channel. It's like, I want to film your next thing, whatever it is. Tell me what it is. And so I go to them and I say, well, my next thing is a rowboat crossing of Drake Passage. No one's ever done it. And they say, great, great, great. They, they, they sign this big, you know, seven-figure check to produce the whole thing and pay, you know, whatever. And great, great, great. It's going to be awesome. I'm leaving in three months. This is a pretty quick turnaround. And I finally, after all the paperwork signed, everything's down, ready to go. I turn to the producers. My family knows this, but most people don't realize this. I'm rowing a boat across Drake Passage. That's great. And I said, but I got some one thing I got to tell you. I've actually never rowed a boat anywhere. Come on, man. Anywhere. 
<laughs> literally not at summer camp not at not oh at, my know, gosh not, <laughs> come on dude not, not at uh you know not in college not at, not come like uh, ever I've, I've never i mean i've also not spent you know it's not like i'm a sailor so i don't know like everything about ocean and sea friend i this is a 100 fully unfamiliar thing that's bananas. the thing that's not unfamiliar is pushing my body right. or pushing my mind or yeah. taking on big goals or things of that nature but i have literally never rode a boat <laughs> anywhere ever and so I reach out to a buddy of mine who's a rowing coach in Portland, Oregon, where I grew up. And I said, I need you to come meet me down at these, this dock and teach me a little bit about rowing. And so he's like, yeah, sure. And I kind of explained the whole thing. He thinks you're out of your freaking mind. Maybe five years from now, you, when are you doing this? I said, well, I'm leaving in three months. And so he gets me on this one man's single rowing school. You maybe have seen people do that or pictures of it or whatever. And I get in there. I'm in six inches of water on the dock. I try to take my first stroke. And I fall flat on my face. I literally <laughs> fall out of the boat and I'm like flailing around in six inches of water. And I stand up soaking wet. Oh and this is that moment where you go like, either I am an idiot. And of course, this is an extreme example. I, I'm never going to be a rower. But here's the thing. I said to him, I look at him and I go, well, I guess I'm not a rower. But one word changes that. I guess I'm not a rower yet yet i'm not a rower yet we've got three months for that and that is everything right we talk about God, mindset. We talk, that is it i'm not whatever you are right now no matter what age you are you're listening to this podcast wherever you are your hopes your dreams your mount everest what's your everest you haven't reached the summit of your mount everest yet here's the thing kobe bryant had to shoot his first hoop at some point Stephen King had to sit down and write the first paragraph of his first novel before he could write 65 of the best-selling books of all time. Meryl Streep had to try out for her school play. All of these people were not at the top of their game when they came out of the womb. But at some point, they chose to say in their identity, in their own confidence, in their own strength, in the story that they are writing about themselves, I am not this yet, but I can be and become anything I set my mind to. And three months later, I became the first person in history to row a boat successfully across the most treacherous stretch of ocean in the world. You can see the, the, the documentary Discovery Plus, as it's called The Impossible Row, if you want to see me get bashed around in some crazy-ass situation in the middle of the ocean. Dude, but we can be and become anything we set our minds to. Brother, and that's the truth. That, that's just unbelievable. And the way you tell the story and weave in the point, it's just so freaking good. I really do believe this too. The people that I know that are the most happy and successful or just one or the other have a lower threshold of how good or how prepared they think they have to be before they actually start something. And the people that aren't very happy or that aren't very successful have this massive threshold of what they think they have to know to just begin. And so they don't begin to your point. Now that is rather mind-blowing it's like rob o'neill was on my show kill bin laden he couldn't even he didn't know how to swim weeks before becoming a navy seal wow. then i have you on and you're telling me i've never rode a boat and you're doing something that freaking bananas just it just it just blows my mind bro well, let me ask you a couple last things because i want to make sure that everyone gets this book too but what would be next for you like you like i'm not i'm sitting here going what the heck else can you do dude like so is there something brewing in that brain of yours right now that's the next thing that you're working on? It, this is the most sincere answer. Um, there, there's two things that I'm working on right now. I will, I, will I set other world records or certainly push my body in other expeditions? Yes, I'm passionate about that. And that's always going to light me up or at least will for this chapter and multiple more chapters of my life. There's two things that I'm most focused on. I ask myself this question often, Colin, what's your biggest Everest? And I, and I, I write this at the end of this book. Yeah. One is starting a family. My next Everest is I want to have children. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to also do expeditions and continue to run my businesses and continue to strive. Mm -hmm. But my heart is really passionate about that. And the other thing is, is truly, 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 my next Everest in this regard is to inspire 10 million people to take the 12 hour walk. That's my goal. That's my Everest in this moment. And again, I do things in parallel. So I'm also, yes, I'm building other expeditions and yes, I'm building yeah. other things. But I am passionate about that. And the question is why? Why? 
well, I know this because I know about your work and what you do. Just because you have these personal tools within yourself, Ed Milet, the badass, the genius, the creative, the amazing entrepreneur, you sit here passionately wanting to share with other people because the ripple effect of positivity and uplifting that we can have in the world. For me, the 10 million people doing the walk, like I said, get the book. I'd love for you to pick up the book, 12hourwalk.com, sign up for the walk. It will change your life. But it's not like I get a dollar for every single person who does the walk. It is free. It's outside your front door. There's no barriers to entry on purpose. So why do I care so much? Because I believe 10 million more people on this planet knowing themselves better, the ripple effect of positivity through your community as a spouse, as a colleague, as a human being on this planet will lift the collective energy in a positive way. And I'm passionate about, yes, pushing myself and I'll continue to do that. But right now, my biggest Everest is to inspire that change in the world at scale. Because it's so crazy to me. We all have this ability. We actually all have access to it. I'm not saying, hey, wait till you have a million dollars and you can fly to the other side of the world to do the thing, whatever. I am literally saying, put on your running shoes, commit to a day, sign up on my website and walk out your front door. And if every single person took just 12 hours to look inward for themselves, the planet, the world that we live in would be in a better place, more innovation, more creativity, more trust, more love, more compassion, more empathy. Mm, my gosh. Bro, you, you blow my mind. But and in the book, I, I'm so pulled into you that I'm forgetting that we're even having a conversation sometimes. And that doesn't <laughs> happen when I interview. He has this outline in the book about commit, record, unplug, walk, rest, and reflect. I want you to get the book so you understand what all of that stuff means, guys. But I just really feel like this. And the last thing I want to ask you, Colin, by the way, I'll have you back on this anytime you want. This is <laughs> one of the best conversations of my life on or off the podcast. And by the way, I think he would also tell you when that 12th hour is done, the first podcast you should download is the Ed Milet show. I think there's no dispute about that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> True. Um, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, I want to ask you this last because I think it's your relationship with pain and your relationship with fear that gets altered when you do things like you've done in your life. And I bet you haven't been asked this in a while or maybe ever, but how would you describe lastly that people are listening to like, look, I want to do this and I'm afraid. I want to do this. You put it in the book too about the limiting beliefs and I don't like being uncomfortable or being in pain. You have developed as have other people I know and whatever they're good at, they have a different relationship with pain. They have a different relationship with fear because I think we build relationships with these things. Mm -hmm. And I think pain means something to some people that it doesn't mean to others. Fear means some things that it doesn't mean to others. So the last thing I'd ask you, because there's a hundred, look, look at this. I mean, there's a hundred more things I'd love to ask you. How would you describe your relationship with pain and fear? The one that you have currently. And I think we'll leave it on that and then we'll have them get the book. I love it. I love it. Yeah, well, uh, we'll definitely have to get uh, around to it at some point. I would love um, that. Get the rest of the page of those notes. Um, Sincerely, I love it. One thing that I, I love to say, it's something that's a reminder of myself. It's a paraphrase of a Hakuri Marikami quote that I've kind of made my own a little bit, but is pain is mandatory. Suffering is optional. Pain is mandatory. Suffering is optional. What I mean by that, what at least what that means to me is life is hard, man. Life is hard. Like, I don't, I don't care if you were born into a billionaire family. I don't care if you were born, you know, homeless. I don't care if you were born in a rural part of the, the world with no drinking water or you're, you know, born in a penthouse in Manhattan. Life is inevitably hard. It is hard. It truthfully is at times. And it's also beautiful and amazing and it unfolds in incredible ways. But there are times when it is implicitly hard. It's in this point, painful. Pain is going to happen, emotional, physical, et cetera. Yeah. But we get to choose. In those moments, it's so easy to start asking ourselves questions is painful. Should I give up? Why me? Why is this happening to me? This shouldn't be done. You know, all the things, right? But I've come to realize that truly one question only matters when facing these great obstacles or this pain, which is how will you respond? How will you respond? You have a choice in this moment. Is it, is it are you going to choose fear? You're going to lean into fear of this moment? Or are you going to lean into love? Is, is that moment of, like I said, embrace the ones? Is this an insurmountable obstacle that you just want to do everything to avoid? Or is this a huge opportunity for growth? You get to decide. The objective thing of the pain is going to happen to you at some point or many points throughout your life. But you get to choose if you're going to apply that to suffering. 
to suffering. That's your choice. That's so and so for me, that's my relationship with fear and pain, man, is that they are inevitable, but we can use them as fire, as fuel mm. to make ourselves stronger and more realized and to feel that juice of actually being alive. I'm so glad I asked you that. Man. I got all kinds of questions. I want to know what a relationship with a Sherpa is like after you've gone through that journey. There's all these things I want to know from you. <laughs> so we're going to have you back on again. Listen, uh, first of all, I just want to say this. I want you to hear me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful that you spent this hour with me and the people I love so much in our audience here today, bro. So thank you so much for being here. Sec secondly, go ahead. You were going to say something. I was just going to say thank you, man. It, it, it's, it's an honor to sit down with you. Like I said, I've, I've long admired your work and we have uh, many, many mutual friends overlapping in our community. So it's yeah. so fun to be here and sit with you and yeah. your, your positivity, your joy, what you bring to the world is so impactful and so beautiful. So uh, it's an honor, my friend. Thank you. And now I count you as a friend. And the second thing I want to tell everybody is that you need to go do the 12 hour walk and go pick up the book the 12 hour walk. This is one of these things where yours was great. There ain't another book like it. You ain't never heard this before. There's another book like this. This is just another one of those. Oh, it reminds me of that. Nah, this doesn't remind you of anything. And so please go get Colin's book, follow him on social media and everyone share this show. This is something people need to hear what we covered today. And I implore you to share it. We are the fastest growing show in the world because all of you share the show. So please make sure that you go get Colin's book and you participate in the 12-hour walk as well. Colin, thank you again, brother. And everybody out there, God bless you. Max out your life. This is The Ed Milet Show. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but... Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen.